Good morning. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Let's get started with the day's biggest story. Let's talk about the Joe we know. I'm going to tell you, I am so proud to endorse Joe Biden to be the next president in the United States. It's official. Kamala Harris is Joe Biden's running mate. The team here at Apple News read everything written about her that we could find and put together a collection of stories that'll help you learn more about the candidate and the Democratic ticket. There's a link to the full collection in our show notes page. Harris is a historic choice for vice president. She is a woman of Jamaican and Indian descent. She's a child of immigrants. And yet, in many ways, her record shows that she's a pretty safe choice for an establishment figure like Joe Biden. She's a longtime public servant. Right now, she's at the end of her first term as the junior U.S. senator from California. And before that, she was the state's attorney general. President Trump used a familiar word to talk about Harris's entrance to the race. She was nasty to a level that was just uh, a horrible thing. Her former rivals for the Democratic presidential nomination praised the choice. Senator Bernie Sanders tweeted she, quote, understands what it takes to stand up for working people, fight for health care for all. Cory Booker and Julian Castro called the nomination historic. And Susan Rice, who was on the short list to BVP, also tweeted her congratulations. And according to the Biden campaign, the announcement led to his biggest online fundraising period. ActBlue, which is a donation platform for Democrats, reported more than $10.8 million in donations yesterday evening. And Shamita, it's important to highlight just how meaningful a pick like this is to communities who don't see themselves represented in presidential politics. The Washington Post has a quote from Janetta Cole, who is the first black woman president of Spelman College. And she said she was, quote, jumping for joy. And this line really stuck with me. She said, today, 401 years after the first enslaved Africans came to what was then British Virginia, look what has happened. The Post also captured the reaction in India, where her mom is from, and in Jamaica, where her dad is from. This one black and white picture of her parents. Her mom is wearing a sari. Her dad is in a suit. It's been shared and commented on a lot. Her sister, Maya Harris, who's here in the U.S., tweeted, You can't know who Kamala Harris is without knowing who our mother was. Missing her terribly, but know she and the ancestors are smiling today. Now, celebrations for the historic pick aside, you'll remember during the Democratic debates, there were some tense onstage moments between Biden and Harris. But in spite of that, the two are more or less aligned on the issues. In the field of 20-something Democratic nominees, they were both seen as moderates, although Harris has a fairly liberal voting record in the Senate. On health care, she falls somewhere in the middle of Biden and Sanders. She supports Medicare for all, but she also supports private health insurance for the people who want it. On criminal justice reform, she's been scrutinized for her record as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Some of the more progressive members of her party, especially during the primaries, argued the self-described top cop didn't do enough to end systemic racism. But since dropping out of the presidential race, Harris has really been speaking out about the need for police reform, especially after George Floyd's death and all the demonstrations that followed. And Shamita, I'm waiting to see how outspoken she'll be next week at the very unconventional Democratic National Convention. 
Yeah, this is going to be an interesting experiment in modern day pandemic politics. This convention is not going to be held in person, but instead it's going to be virtual. Joe Biden speaks on Thursday and Senator Harris will take the stage one week from today, next Wednesday. Let's turn to Wisconsin now. It's one of the 2020 battleground states. The New Yorker looks at the rural part of the state and specifically the role farmers could play in the upcoming election. Yeah, farmers in Wisconsin are having a tough time. Over the past few years, there has been increased competition and consolidation in the farming industry and lower sales. And that has had a devastating effect, not just economically, but also mentally and emotionally. Randy Roker is a Wisconsin farmer. He told The New Yorker he's losing $30,000 a month and that for a while he was on suicide watch. Roker says he's still struggling with depression. Help was supposed to be on the way for farmers like Roker. Back in 2016, Trump pledged to save declining family farms. But then the U.S. got into a few trade wars and these small farms began hurting even more. China, Mexico, Canada, and the European Union all imposed penalties and tariffs on American dairy products. Last year, Trump allocated billions of dollars in federal aid to farmers. But here's an important distinction. A large portion of that aid went to industrial farms, not small family farms. Despite that, Randy Roker is still planning to vote for Trump. He told The New Yorker he believes the president is in touch with people like him. Now, if you look at the electoral map, Trump could lose in Michigan and Pennsylvania and still win the election if he carries Wisconsin. In 2016, he won the state by fewer than 23,000 votes. So Trump needs enough voters like Randy to believe he's still in touch with Wisconsin farmers. If you pick up O Magazine this week, you're going to notice a big change. For the first time in her magazine's 20-year history, Oprah's face is not on the cover. Instead, you're going to see the face of a woman who was shot dead by police. It's a photorealistic illustration of Brianna Taylor. She's looking straight at you, unblinking bright eyes, with a slight maybe smile. She's in her Louisville EMS uniform. Late last week, Oprah put up 26 billboards, one for every year of Taylor's life, around her hometown and her place of death, Louisville, Kentucky. The billboards call for the police officers involved in the shooting to be arrested and charged. Protesters are also demanding those officers be arrested. An article by The Marshall Project and The Guardian outlines why this case is more complicated than you might think. So the night she was killed in mid-March, Louisville police carried out a no-knock warrant at the apartment she shared with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. Here's an important thing to keep in mind. They had a warrant for the arrest of another man who at this point had already been arrested cross town. These officers forced their way into the apartment. They were not wearing police uniforms. Taylor's boyfriend claims he thought the officers were intruders, so he fired his gun. The officers fired back and shot Taylor eight times. The Marshall Project explains circumstances like the ones surrounding Taylor's death make it incredibly difficult to charge police. Part of it comes down to self-defense. A professor from the University of South Carolina School of Law explains it in this way. Most state laws say that police can't be considered aggressors under self-defense laws when they're on the job. And in this case, the officers did have the legal authority to enter the apartment, which may likely give them just cause for firing their weapons after Taylor's boyfriend started shooting. But her boyfriend could reasonably claim self-defense as well, 
which brings this case to a kind of stalemate where no one can clearly be considered the aggressor. Even though the police officers have not been charged, there has been some action. The Louisville City Council banned its police from conducting these so-called no-knock raids. House Democrats in Congress introduced a bill to ban federal law enforcement from carrying out these kinds of raids and to discourage local officers from doing them, too. And Senator Rand Paul put forward a similar bill in the Senate. Breonna Taylor's name is on both House and Senate bills. When the government makes something illegal, it's just a matter of time before the black market emerges. And that's apparently what's happening with gyms. Yes, gyms. <laughs> NPR's Planet Money reports on the rise of what they call prohibition gyms during lockdown. Just like during the prohibition of alcohol, quality control tends to drop. One illegal gym goer told Planet Money her usual gym, which is small, was twice as packed than in pre-COVID times, that no one sanitized the equipment, and worst of all, no one wore masks or social distanced. Yeah, she called them refugees from the big chain gyms that have shut down for now. And her gym was charging them more. Again, when things are forced to go underground, it's an opportunity for someone to profit. And Planet Money points out, right now, it's summer. But in the dead of winter, speakeasy gyms could be in even higher demand. You can find links to all these stories in today's show notes page. And if you're enjoying the show, we would love to ask you to leave us a rating and review us. It really helps other people find the show. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.